today we are going to resume with our quick overlook of the book of Jude. Today may not be so quick, but um, I'll do what I can here. We're going to go over Jude 17 through 25. Let us pray. We'll read the passage. Father, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for those who are here that you've put in place to protect the flock. Lord, thank you for the people in the church. And Lord, thank you for discernment, discerning hearts. They can see these things. They can see and point out the false teachers. Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. Lord, I thank you for your provisions for us. Lord, I ask that uh, you would go before me here today. Lord, that you would be with Terry and his travels and his sharing of the word also. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Jude 17 through 25. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, and have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So in the first part of Jude, according to verse 4, we're shown that there are false apostate people that have crept into the church. It says in verse 4, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at this last week briefly, and we saw what these people look like, what they do, how they make their way into the church. I want to uh, look now at what Jude calls us to do because of these people. We see Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Jude is calling for the church to earnestly contend for the faith. Verse 4 is the reason he is making this call to the church, because those people 
who are the apostate, who are false, have crept into the church unnoticed. We have not seen them creep in. They've come unnoticed. So Jude is calling for us to contend earnestly for the faith. In this context, contend is a word meaning to struggle in a fight as a soldier would struggle against an enemy in battle, most likely hand-to-hand type combat. It can also be used in an athletic sense to compete strenuously in an athletic competition. However, the first, I believe, is appropriate for this context because we are fighting an enemy that has crept in. So as we look at the last eight verses of this epistle, we're going to see what it looks like to earnestly contend for the faith against the false apostate. We'll look at four points that Jude has lined out here. The first one is remembering. Jude 17 through 19, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. So we are to remember the words that were spoken by the apostles. Obviously, they're no longer with us here. They were what was the beginning, the foundation of the church. Christ taught them personally, face-to-face. So God has given us a couple ways to know what the apostles have said. The first is that God gave us the written scriptures. Second Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Romans fifteen four. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of the soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Through the grace of God, brothers and sisters, we've been given His Word. We can look at His Word and know what is true, know what is false, and we can say, look at it and say, that person is teaching the falsehood, or that person is teaching the truth. Acts seventeen, ten through 11 says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So Paul went to the synagogue in Berea, says they were examining the Scriptures daily to make sure that these men were true. They were protecting themselves from false teachers. And they did it by testing them according to the written Word of God. They put what they were preaching and teaching up to the test of Scripture. 
and they uh, they knew what they were saying was true. And as a result of that, many of them were saved. We have the great privilege, brothers and sisters, behold, to be able to hold the and read and study the Word of God. Yet so many of us don't do it. And those who don't are tossed to and fro by false teachers that we've seen here that Jude has described to us. They're pulled by false doctrine. They're swayed by the winds of a false teacher that gives them what they want to hear instead of the truth of the word. They go and they go and twist scripture or they take it out of context. And because a false teacher will take a small piece of a text and justify what they are wanting to say by it, they will take and lead people on the path to hell. Second, God has set up the church with pastors and teachers and prophets through the gifting of God who teach the Word of God in its correct contents context and its correct interpretation. And these teachers and pastors and overseers, there's many actually different words for them here in Scripture, but they protect the flock from the false teachers. 1 Corinthians 12, 27-31 Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, Second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I show you a still more excellent way. We see that God has set up the church. Speaks of the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. These are men who have been given great gifts to teach the Word of God in its correct context, its correct interpretation on behalf of God, and God teaches through them. We see Acts 20, 28-31, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, Remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. Paul is saying that he's going to be leaving. And he knows that he's leaving these people in charge, these overseers, to shepherd the church that Christ purchased with his own blood. 
And he's giving them charge to take care of it, to protect it. Because he says, I know that after my own departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They'll speak perverse things and they'll draw away the disciples or the people in the church, the learners. These men are important in the church. These, uh, these pastors, these teachers, overseers, the leadership of the church is important to protect the flock, to discern the false teachers, to discern the false who come in among and try and divide the flock. Fortunately, we have a very good one here. Next, I want to look at what do these men look like? What are the qualifications that are set out for them? We see this in 1 Timothy and Titus. 1 Timothy 3, 1-7 is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil." Titus 1, 5-9, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any person is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine to refute those who contradict. The church has these men. We see these qualifications in, in these men. And they protect the flock. They're of good report. They're not to fall into reproach with the snare of the devil. They're not in any type of rebellion. They do not have their households out of order. They're all in order. And these men, God has gifted and equipped to protect the church. And to preach the words of the apostles that have been given to us according to Jude. God gives these men charge to preach the word and to point out the false. Second Timothy 4, 1-5 I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with great patience and instruction. 
For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth, will turn aside the myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Second Timothy 2.15 Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. 1 Timothy 4.6 The first five verses are the ones that we have looked at before describing false teachers. We go to verse 6 and we see this. In pointing out these things to the brethren, meaning pointing out the false teachers, the things that they're teaching. You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. These men have been given charge by God. They've been given a great knowledge and wisdom by God and discernment to see these things and to protect the church, protect the flock, They go and they call out those who are, uh, who are false, who are spreading lies through the church, who are dividing the church, who have come in. And I have a great respect for the man who does that. And the church should too. We're going to see how the church should respond to these men. First Timothy five seventeen through 19 The elders who rue well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. We are to give these men double honor. We are to honor them. We are to provide for their needs because they are giving us the life-saving Word of God. They need to be able to work without having to worry about their needs. We're also not to accept accusations against them, except on a basis of multiple witnesses where it would be an accurate accusation because the false are always attacking these people. The false are always trying to spread accusations to them to try and discredit them, to remove them from the pulpit, to remove them from the leadership in the church, to remove them from protecting the flock from false teachers. God has gifted these men greatly. And again... I thank God for them. Next thing we see is prayer. Look at Jude 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Philippians 4, 1 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. 
The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in prayer. Everything do in prayer with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. God will keep you in prayer. You ask and he will give you the desire of your hearts. Colossians 4.2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. James 5.15, if is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. God keeps us in prayer. Talking to the Most High God, He will give you great knowledge, great wisdom. He will answer your prayers. It says He will give you peace, the peace of God that will surpass all comprehension and understanding. Third point is corporate worship. This is something that is very dear to my heart. Being in church is something that I believe is very important in the life of a believer. Jude 22 and 23, And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We are to be meeting together. We are to be devoting ourselves to one another. We're to be encouraging each other, bearing each other's burdens, and also keeping each other accountable, even if it means discipline in the church. If we don't come together, brothers and sisters, this is impossible. How do we see each other? How do we know what's going on in each other's lives? Yeah, you can talk on the phone or you can email or whatever, but that's not face-to-face. You don't know a person through those things. We're to meet together in the Spirit of God. Hebrews 10.23-25 Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Acts two forty two through forty four. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. Peter was preaching, and every time he preached, thousands of people were coming to salvation. This was response 
of those who were saved. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They were breaking the bread. They were praying. And everyone was feeling a sense of awe. They were together. They knew who each other were. They knew who was true. They knew who was spreading lies and falsehoods. They knew all of that because they were together face to face. Galatians 6, 1-5, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. We are supposed to be together so that we can also be accountable to each other. Anyone who is caught in a trespass, restore them. Do it with the spirit of gentleness because we love each other. We know each other and we make mistakes. James 5, 16 through 20. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain on the earth, produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins." We're to be together. We are to confess our sins to one another. We're to pray for one another. When the prayer of the righteous will be heard, God will answer it. And it says, If any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know he turns the sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Do you realize that if you go and you confront somebody about their sin and they see the error of their ways, that that has covered a multitude of sins, that you have saved that soul? God has made that possible for us through the meeting of corporate worship so that we can be together with each other and we know each other. Ephesians 5, 3-5 But immorality and any impurity or greed must not be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness, 
and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. There's no room for that in the church. And if we are not meeting together, and we are not knowing each other, we are not with each other, we don't know if these things are going on. And we are not to tolerate these things in the church. Matthew eighteen fifteen through 17 Jesus is speaking, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This is church discipline, as I referred to earlier. This is loving and this is protecting of the church. If the church isn't here, then how we know these things are going on? If your brother sins, go to him in private. If he doesn't take two or more with you, well, who are those two that you're going to take with you? Those are the people in the church that have seen what is going on and they know what's going on. And if that person does not listen to them, it says that you bring it to the church. You bring it to everyone in the church. And this is to be told to the church. If they refuse to listen still, we're to put them out of the church and we are to treat them as Gentile or tax collector. Now, These were Jews he was talking to, so Gentiles were basically spiritually dead. And these people, we are to treat them as those. That doesn't mean that we're to hate them, that we shun them or whatnot. That means that we are to start preaching the gospel to them again and again and again. Hopefully, God will turn their heart. But if the church does not meet and we do not know each other, that's not happening. We don't know what's going on. And none of this can happen. That is why God has put the church in place. It is the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. The fourth point I have is rest in the assurance of God. That's Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, God is the only one who can keep you from stumbling. God is the only one that can make you stand in His glory, that can make you blameless, can give you great joy. 
It is only through the salvation of Jesus that it is possible. We can't do these things of our own. We can't do these things together on our own. That's why we have gifted people in the church. Every one of you has a gift, a spiritual gift from God. And I benefit from your gift. You benefit from my gift. Many of us have multiple gifts. Some of us have a single gift. But they're all important to God, to the church. And God is the one who gives those gifts. God is the one who gives us joy. He is the one who gives us salvation through Jesus. We have to stop and rest in that which is Christ. If we try to do all this on our own, we will fail. John 15, 1-11, Jesus teaches, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to me, or prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Jesus is saying, He is the one who is the vine. The vine is the one who gives all the nourishment, all the water and the minerals and everything else to the branches. Without the vine, the branches cannot exist. And it says that they will not exist. They will be cut off if they're not bearing any fruit and they will dry up and they will be put into the fire. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus again says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We can't do this of ourselves. We have to rest in the Lord. God is the only one who can sustain us. He's the only one who can make us stand in His glory. He's the only one who can give us joy. So we see that Jude has shown us what it looks like to contend for the faith against the false teachers. And the apostate. 
we must remember the words of the apostles through the written word of God and the men of God set to teach the word in truth and to protect the flock. We must petition God in prayer so that we can recognize the false teachers. We are, to, we are called to assemble together so that we can encourage each other to keep each other accountable and discipline if necessary. Finally, we must rest fully in the assurance of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word, Lord. I thank you for the church. I thank you for the gifts that you've given the church. Lord, I thank you for gifted men like Terry who you've set to protect the church, to protect the flock. Lord, I thank you for all that we have been given here at this time. Lord, I ask that we would look to you and your word so that we could know your truth and we could discern the things of good and evil. Thank you, Lord. Amen.